0: like that. Uh, I'll tell you up front tonight I may come across as an absent-minded professor and it's because I am. Uh, The semester kicked off in earnest at the Bible College down at Clear Creek this week and so I teach two classes on Tuesday and one on Wednesday mornings there and I've got a big old bunch of students, 125 students in all three classes, no, compiled um as you add all three classes up, so it uh, it's going to be a little bit of a stretch this semester. I'd appreciate your prayers. I'm teaching one class that has never been taught there before, so uh I picked it up from someone else that was supposed to teach it, and God called him and he moved off to a new location and so I was asked if I would pick it up, and I did, and now I regret regret that I did, (laughs) but uh, no, I really don't, but it it will be a little bit of a challenge, you know, so um, if I'm a little absent, minded, it's because all that kicked off yesterday and today, and um, got up here, you know, soon after that all ended, and Ready for tonight, so we're, we're excited about tonight. I'm going to watch my time and try to manage it real well because we do need to take care of some church business tonight. So let this serve as a third announcement that we will have a special business session later in our service tonight to discuss uh, how we're going to handle the uh, Christmas offering By the way, that offering has already been sent to the ministry in the Dominican Republic and we've received acknowledgement that they've received that, so we're thankful for that. But we had talked about a matching gift just to come from the church funds and we'll need to decide how to handle that tonight. And we do have a request for a church letter as well, so those things we will take care of toward the end. Of our time, so I'm going to uh, just jump right into things pretty quickly tonight. Uh, we do want to give you an opportunity to brag on God. And uh, most of you probably know, I hope it's okay that I say it Sam and Judy had a pretty bad car wreck last week and probably totaled their vehicle, and they're here tonight. <laughs> So we're thankful that uh, no one, even the young man that that hit them was, was not hurt, right? Did I hear that right? So we're thankful for that. I didn't mean to steal your thunder tonight, but I'm just so thankful that you weren't hurt in that wreck. So God's providence and hand on them, grateful for that. I'm grateful, let me tell you this, and then I'm going to turn it over to you for you to share good news tonight, but i tell you what's really good news is that in the early hours of yesterday, that it wasn't too terribly cold, because had it been, we'd have been shoveling about two feet of snow. Do you realize that? So I'm thankful, I really am, I'm thankful for that. Who else has something uh, that they want to share tonight that they're thankful for? God's hand at work. In your life. Yes. Okay. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Who else? Yes. New job. Amen. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. Amen. Anybody else? I've not heard a peep from over here. You have an interview. All right, great. Praise the Lord. And prayers for your interview. Yes. Anyone else? Oh, somebody has a birthday? Had a birthday. Happy belated birthday, Miss Judy. Amen. Who else? (laughs) Hey, Brother Daddy, that's a prayer request. Amen. Anybody else? Yes, brother. Amen. Amen to that. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. That is a blessing. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, I don't like going to New York anymore. I I used to like that occasionally, but the last time I was there, I hope you all had a better experience, but when, when I was going to Israel back in late September, early October. I had a day in in New York. I'd flown from Cincinnati to uh, Newark, and then I had to go from Newark to JFK for my international flight. And so I had a full day in between those two, and I thought, you know, it's been a while since I've uh, sort of walked around Manhattan, so I decided to do that. And it seems like everybody there smokes marijuana. No kidding. No kidding. I have good friends from Pulaski County that actually live there. They have an apartment down on 23rd Street. And I, I finally called them. I said, can you all let me in? I just need a place to get out of this. Because seriously, no no joke. Of course, it was warm weather. And hopefully cold weather may have mitigated that some but in the warm weather everywhere you turned it it was just rolling the the marijuana smell and i had enough of it i may have even started acting a little crazy or something <laughs> second hand you know yeah yeah anyway i'm sorry to have commented on that anybody else yeah, miss Sue. Oh, thank you. Amen. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Greta, did you say Greta? Okay. Okay. We'll remember that person when we when we pray together. Let's go Lord in prayer and open up our moments and we'll jump into our subject matter tonight. Father, I want to thank you for your providence over us. God, we are here tonight by your grace, and we just want to praise you for that. We've all had uh, different experiences of the past few days, and Lord, you have sovereignly looked over us and blessed us with everything that we've needed to be back together in this uh, fellowship tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together in the middle of a week, and share fellowship with one another. Thank you, Father, that you have blessed us the way you have. Lord, the last few moments have been indicative of those great blessings, and we praise you tonight. Lord, we could go on and on. We just shared a little bit, but we, we could share all night about how really good you are to us. And so we just want to thank you for that. And Lord, if you didn't bless us with anything but our salvation, that would be enough. And so, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the redemption, the forgiveness that we have in you. Lord, we're a blessed people. Father, uh, we pray that you would bless us as we have uh, some time of discussion tonight about uh, how we received the Bible, Lord, I pray that you would help us be reminded that it's a supernatural thing. Even though we're investigating uh, some historical matters and how it all came to be, Lord, we know that there is no good reason for this book, your book, your word, to be available to us today other than the fact that you gave it supernaturally and that you protected it and provided it to us supernaturally. And so, Father, I I pray we would see that above and beyond all other things. Lord, we ask your blessings upon our moment of business in a few minutes and ask you, Lord, to lead us as a church family as we make those decisions. God... We love you, we're thankful for Christ, and we pray in his name, amen. So last time we were together, we sort of brought things up to the time of the New Testament. I'll take you back to our discussion about the Old Testament. We discovered that by the time of Christ, and actually many years before that, the Old Testament as we know it from the book of Genesis all the way through Malachi, was already put together in the day of Christ, that Old Testament canon of Scripture. I'll talk about that word more in a moment. But it was already there. And so last time we thought about how God used the people that were around Christ that wrote the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We talked about how God inspired others to write letters in the New Testament. And so tonight, we're just going to take a few moments and talk about how all that came together. How many New Testament books are there? 27, that's right. 27 New Testament books from the Gospel of Matthew, all the way to the apocalyptic book, the book of Revelation. And so tonight we will talk about how it came together. I wanted us to look at a verse of Scripture that we've already noticed in our study, but I think it's helpful for us to be reminded so that we know what we're talking about when we mention Scripture and how it comes together. Peter writes, And he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And I explained that once before, but let me say very quickly that that simply means there's no group of people, nor is there any singular person, that has access to understanding Scripture any more than any other group or any other person. One of our great doctrines that comes to us from the New Testament is what we call the priesthood of believers. You've heard about the priesthood of believers. We're thankful tonight that we have no priest between us and Holy God other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is prophet, priest, and king. So we have access to God through Jesus, and we don't have to go through any other man or any other agency. We're directly connected to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. Y'all, that's important, and that's a blessing. You know, I have been called in to ministry, and I'm so thankful that I'm a New Testament minister and not an Old Testament priest. You know, I'm thankful that uh, I don't stand between any person and God. I'm thankful that you pray to God, and God hears your prayers just as much as He hears my prayers, and your prayers are just as effective as my prayers. So I'm thankful for that. The priesthood of believers means that you can read and study and interpret Scripture for yourself. And so we're thankful that we have God's Word and we don't have to have someone else to interpret it for us and we're thankful that there's not another person or a group of people that have an in with God so that they can interpret and understand Scripture in a way that we can't. There's no private interpretation. And that's because, according to verse 21, for prophecy, and when you see the word prophecy there, it's not talking about foretelling. Excuse me, I said that wrong. It's not talking about foretelling. When you see the word prophecy, sometimes the implication is, There's a foretelling, a prediction, not really a prediction, but uh, an illumination of what God has planned for the future. That's one way to understand prophecy. But prophecy also means a foretelling just of the things of God. And so that prophecy, the foretelling of God's things, never came by the will of man, make sure... You hear that, and if you mark or underline or highlight in your copy of the Word of God, that's a good phrase to highlight. The Bible did not come by the will of man. A man nor a group of men came together to formulate Scripture. It didn't come by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by who? The Holy Spirit. So I take you back to where we started. Scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. And God would use people and their situations in life and even their personalities and at times their attitudes... And as I've said to you before, you can distinguish between the writing of Paul and the writing of Peter. Even in the Gospels, there's a big difference in the way that Matthew writes and Luke writes, and a huge difference between the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke write and then the Apostle John writes. So we see all of these personalities and all of these life situations at play in Scripture, but the bottom line is... God the Holy Spirit inspired those ancient men with His very Word. So I just wanted to recap that again with you tonight as we get started moving forward in our timeline and consider the canonization of the New Testament. I would remind you, I've told you this before, but I want you to see it, that word canon. You know, if you go out and you begin to do your own research and study of how the Old Testament was put together and the New Testament was put together, you're going to see that word canon. And it's not a -A C-A-N-N-O-N that blows things up. But it's a -A C-A-N-O-N, which means really a a measuring rod, measuring rod, what is authentic and what is not, the term canon is used to describe those books that are divinely inspired by God and therefore they belong in Scripture. So we have the word canon. That's the measuring rod. Canonization then is a process. And it's the process by which people have recognized what is Scripture, what is inspired by God, and how it's to be collected. Here's what we know. God didn't just drop down a list from heaven. So you can read the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, and you won't find anywhere where God says these are to be the 39 books of the Old Testament and then these are to be the 27 books of the New Testament. God didn't do it that way. And sometimes we might wonder, why didn't God do it that way? You know, if we need to know Scripture, and we need to understand what belongs in the Bible, and then uh, we've talked about the books of the Apocrypha and how they really don't belong in Scripture. Uh, Why in the world did God not just send down through one of His prophets or one of His New Testament apostles some list that says these are the books that are floating around that need to be combined together to formulate Scripture. I believe that God didn't do that because He wanted us to dig. He wanted people to study. He wanted people to rely on the leadership of the Holy Spirit when it came to this matter of understanding what Scripture is supposed to be and what it's not. And here's the big thing in terms of the New Testament that I want you to see with me tonight. That process, the process of canonization, started early in the first centuries of Christianity. You know, it wasn't late in the history of the church and the history of the movement of Christ that the new testament was understood and came together it started early and the first thing i want you to see with me tonight that you begin to see it happening in the new testament itself when you think about the coming together the canonization of the new testament a big verse that you need to look at is First Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. And I want you to see what that verse says. The Bible says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now who's writing this? First Timothy. So it's the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul is writing this originally to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And in this particular passage, you can go home and and read 1 Timothy chapter 5 and you'll begin to see that that Paul is teaching Timothy, teaching the church, teaching us about how a church is supposed to treat a pastor. So that's the context of what's going on here. And in that passage, Paul explains how it's appropriate for a church to pay a pastor. And in that, he simply says, The Bible says, Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And Scripture also says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now what does that have to do with beginning to understand the canon of New Testament Scripture? Two statements there, two quotes there. Paul is quoting two sources. The first source, he says, says this thing about muzzling an ox. And then he says, there's another source that says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Here's what I want you to see. You shall not muzzle an ox, etc., is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. So that's Old Testament. That's, you know, in one of the first five books of the Bible, the the basis of the Old Testament. And that's just a literal law or a rule that God gave the ancient Israelites about taking care of their animals. So if you're going to work an ox, what do you need to do for that ox? You need to feed him. You need to put fuel in his tank. You have to take care of him. And so it's a literal word back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament about not muzzling up an ox. He needs to be fed if you intend to work him. So here's what Paul does. He uses that literally as an illustration When he's talking about a church caring for its pastor, he says it's just like you've got to take care of your animal. I have a sermon that I preached in different places from 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I I entitled that sermon one time, Feed the Beast. And the pastor didn't like that I called him a beast. So I had to find a different title. I'm, I'm serious about that. I found a different title for my message. But that's what Paul's doing. He's going to the Old Testament. He's pulling out a quote from Deuteronomy. And he's saying, this is Scripture. But here's where it gets really fascinating. I want you to look at that second quote. He talks about the muzzle and the ox. And then he says the laborer is worthy of his wages. Where do you think that quote comes from? You all are smart. Exactly. What about the laborer is worthy of his wages? Well, that's straight out of the Gospel of Luke. Does anybody, by the way, know the context of this, Luke chapter 10? This is the story of Jesus sending out the 70 missionaries. And so he sent out the 70, and he told the 70 that that as they go out, it was okay for them to accept wages. It was okay for them to be fed by the people that they were ministering to. And this is what Jesus says, a direct quote from Luke chapter 10 verse 7, remain in the same house eating and drinking such as they give for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now before I show you my next point on the screen, what's the implication of this? Now remember, we're talking about how we came to understand the New Testament and scripture. Well, we know about the Old Testament. It was already canonized by the time you get to the New Testament era. So, without question, and with no trouble whatsoever, Paul reaches back to Deuteronomy, pulls out a quote, and he says, this is Scripture. What about this other quote? What does it say? (laughs) It, it, It says this, there's an indication here that Paul had access to Luke's gospel. Because Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records this statement from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice how Paul places the writing of Luke on the same level as Deuteronomy. So he's saying both of these statements are what, church? Scripture. Do you see why that's such an important verse? When you begin to think about how the writings that make up the New Testament started to be accepted by early Christians as Scripture. So, back to the verse... 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 18 for the scripture says don't miss that the scripture says quote from Deuteronomy on an equal platform he quotes the gospel writer Luke who quotes the Lord Jesus Christ are there any questions about that? I hope you all don't think I'm building a mountain out of molehill this is a mountain It's important for you to understand this as you begin to see that that even in the day of Paul, this is first century stuff here. So even in the day of Paul, there was in circulation at least the gospel of Luke that Paul had access to to be able to write this down. Direct quote from Deuteronomy and from the gospel of Luke calling both quotes scripture and then let's consider second peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 notice that the bible says and consider that the long suffering of our lord is salvation as also our beloved brother paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you So you have Paul and Peter, both first-century apostles. Peter, an apostle, because Jesus selected him, pulled him out. Paul would become an apostle to the Gentiles, and his apostleship started happening on the Damascus Road when he was headed to Damascus to destroy the church. But God called him out. God saved him. So you have two apostles here Peter and then Paul. And what is Peter saying? Peter is saying that you have some really good information in the writing of our beloved brother Paul. Now look at verse 16. As also in his epistles, speaking of them, or speaking in them, of these things in which are some things uh, hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist in their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. Now this is fascinating as well, because here's the Apostle Peter writing about the epistles of the Apostle Paul. So what does that tell us? It tells us that, that Peter had access to some of Paul's epistles and equates them, look at what I underlined, 2 Peter 3, 16, to the rest of the Scriptures. So just like Paul had did writing to Timothy, here's Peter referring to the writing of the Apostle Paul as Scripture. Here's what I want you to see. Peter wrote this probably as late as about 68. I'm talking about 68 A.D. And then most of Paul's epistles date back to the 50s and the 60s, early 60s. A few of them a little later, the prison epistles, and then, of course, his last two, First and Second Timothy. But what I want you to see here is that in dating, most of Paul's writing was already out and being circulated by the time that Peter writes 2 Peter. And so Peter has access to Paul's epistles and he calls Paul's epistles what? Scripture. Scripture. So I want you to see even before... you you get out of the days of the apostles. They're already talking about writings that are of the first century as being what, church? Scripture. How we got the New Testament. Even in the days of the apostles, they're referring to writings in the first century as Scripture. So these epistles, these letters... An epistle is a letter written by an apostle. Theophilus thifter to the thistle sifter, sifted to sifter, full of thistles through his thistle sifter. Repeat after me. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, epistles are those letters written by the apostles circulated among the first century church. Here's what I'm trying to teach you in this point, if you don't already understand it. So, you hear the geography of so many of the letters in the, uh, the, the New Testament. I chuckled there for a minute because I, I recalled some years ago, I was leading a Bible study and we were talking about the book of Galatians. And so I was trying to set up the context so that the people understood why Paul had wrote the book of Galatians, and so I just asked the people, I said, when you hear the the title Galatians, what are some things that you think of? And one of the guys in the room said, glaciers. (laughs) And so we had some fun out of that. I don't know why those things come to my mind. (laughs) Nevertheless, these epistles, they bear in them geographic reference. In other words, when Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians, well before that Romans. So that's that's the first one that bears a geographic reference. I mean you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Acts, which is the early development of the church. And then you're in Romans, so to whom did Paul write the letter of Romans? To the Romans to the Romans, and then after Romans, you got First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and so in each of those letters, you hear the geographic reference. Paul sending Romans to the Romans; he's sending the two letters to uh, the Corinthians to the church in Corinth, the letters to the Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica. So you get the geography, but here's what I want you to see. Those letters that Paul would send out to those churches, they didn't just stay with those churches. They would be circulated. That's very important. Colossians 4.16, notice the Bible says, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is... Read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from the Laod from Laodicea. Now we don't have the epistle from Laodicea. Obviously, it did not, for some reason, get preserved to be in the canon of New Testament scripture. But what do you see here? The, the apostle Paul sent that letter originally, Colossians to the church at Colossae and he says, I don't want it just to stay in Colossae but I want it to be read where? In Laodicea. So are you understanding what I'm trying to to say? Uh, don't, don't think for a moment that it was ever God's will for one of the New Testament letters to go to, in this case, Colossae and just stay in Colossae. Now, it addressed specific things that were going on in Colossae, but obviously there was need for the people in Laodicea to hear that same content. So, just like you and I are here in the United States of America tonight... And obviously, we weren't even thought of in the first century when God the Holy Spirit illuminated the heart of the Apostle Paul and he wrote these letters. But here we are reading them, which is indicative of it wasn't God's will for this particular verse to stay with the Colossians, but it was God's will for it to be read by the Americans too. All right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The implication there is not just the people in Thessalonica, but circulate it, copy it, send it out, so that other people in other churches can hear this same thing. After a letter had been received in one location, very likely, here's what happens. It was copied, and then that copy was sent to another location. Does it make sense? Colossae receives a letter. Now, they don't want to send their letter to Laodicea because they need to keep that letter because they need to refer back to it. So what do they do? They copy the letter. And then the letter is sent as Paul requested to Laodicea. Remember this. And this takes us back to something I said to you at Christmas. The Roman roads made all of this easier than it would have been before the Roman roads. The exchange of information, uh, the trade routes, that the Romans not just developed, some of those were already there prior to the Romans, but they greatly improved them. And we have that statement, all roads lead to Rome. And that was for the exchange of information. It was for the mail system. You could actually mail things back then. Now, it worked differently than placing a stamp on an envelope and dropping it in a blue box somewhere but you could actually pay somebody to deliver information for you. And so again, going back to our message at Christmas, Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, when everything was ready, when there was relative peace, when there was a common language, when there were better roads so that these letters could be sent and then exchanged, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son and the new covenant becomes effective in the fullness of time. So, obviously, Scripture itself bears reference to the fact that the epistles were exchanged and circulated among the first century churches and, and, like I say, very, very likely it was circulated, the letter would be circulated by copies being written and sent out to other places. Uh, Early church leaders mentioned New Testament books as a collection. I'm going to show you some names here that unless you've studied early church history, these won't amount to a hill of beans, but you might want to look some of this up. Clement of Rome in 95 AD, he was one of the Early church leaders, church fathers, he mentions a collection of New Testament letters and gospels. Now, why is that important? Ninety-five A.D. That's say that again. That yeah, absolutely, that's that is within the first century. Don't miss that. Within the first century, the time of Christ, the time of the apostles, the time of the missionary journeys, and the establishment of churches in Asia Minor, and not only in Asia Minor, but also in Europe, because Paul gets the Macedonian call. By the way, aren't we thankful tonight for the Macedonian call? Because through the Macedonian call, the gospel of Jesus Christ began to spread from one continent to the next. So no longer is the gospel and the stories of Jesus just in Asia. But now the Macedonian call has come and Paul and Silas leave Asia and they take the gospel into Europe. Do you know that Paul actually wanted to go to Spain? You can find Spain in the New Testament. Paul had a desire to take the gospel as far west as Spain because of the Macedonian call. So, here you have one of those church leaders in that first century when Jesus had been on earth, when the church came to life in the book of Acts, when the missionary journeys had already started. In 95 AD, you already have somebody writing and leaving a record saying that there is this collection of New Covenant books, New Testament books. Polycarp's a very important figure when you study early church history because he was directly taught by the Apostle John. Polycarp, was one of John's students. And in 108 AD, which is not long after, just into the second century AD, he also is talking about there being a collection of New Covenant or New Testament books. Ignatius of Antioch, of course you know that that Antioch was so important in the early church. I mean, it's the sending church or the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Silas. Uh, By the way, it's in Antioch where the followers of Christ are first called what? Correct. Little Christs. So the leader, just after uh, the first century there, Ignatius in Antioch is leaving behind a record record of there being New Testament books, Irenaeus later in 185 AD. Here's what I want you to know because you'll encounter this and if you talk to people, maybe not from our area, and they want to debate with you whether or not the New Testament is inspired, a lot of people will say, well, that New Testament that you say you believe, it was actually put together by the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. I'm not, I'm going to resist going into all that history, but the Council of Nicaea was called together by Constantine. Constantine, you know, after the Roman Empire was split, you have the Western Empire and the Eastern Empire. Constantine sets up the new city, Constantinople, bears his name, which is now what? Istanbul. You ever heard of that little ditty? Istanbul was Constantinople. That's what it's about. So Constantine was the first of the emperors that legalized Christianity. He says it's okay for people to be Christian. And he, Constantine, called together the council of Nicaea in 325, and a lot of people will say, Well, you know what? That New Testament was just made up by the church. It was made up at the direction of an emperor who wanted something official to hold over his people. Well, the fact of the matter is there is no historical source that says the Council of Nicaea put together the New Testament. It's all fiction. Do y'all remember the book that was popular a couple decades ago, The Da Vinci Code? Maybe you even saw the movie, The Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown was the author. Actually, Tom Hanks starred in The Da Vinci Code, the movie. That, that's a big piece of The Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown, you know, states in The Da Vinci Code, of course, it's fiction, But he says that he bases it on history. But one of his big propositions in there is that the Council of Nicaea put together the New Testament. And the fact of the matter is, there is no historical record that that ever happened. Now, there were some councils. And by the way, when I say a council, let me make sure you know what I'm talking about. There were times in the life of the early church where they were trying to figure out New Testament doctrine. And it was very important for them to call together a meeting of pastors and church leaders so that they could pray together, that they could think together, so that they could understand God's will in regard to church doctrine. And so there are some councils that do leave behind a record of the New Testament. So the Council of Hippo in 393, the Council of Carthage in 397, both of those councils, now this is very important, both of those councils referenced a compilation of 27 books. So, by the time you get to the late 300s, you have groupings of people coming together and talking about a collection of New Testament writings. Councils and early Christians used some key questions. I'm going to give this to you quickly because we've got to do this business, but they used some key questions to help guide their thoughts in determining why a New Testament book was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Question number one, was the author an apostle or have a close connection with an apostle? So an apostolic connection, that was very important, is the book being accepted by the body of Christ at large. These letters are in circulation. We've talked about that tonight. Is there evidence that when one letter moves from one place to the next to the next, is the body of Christ? Are all of these early churches, are they receiving that as Scripture? Did the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching. So the the faith, the doctrine that was handed down from one to the next to the next is this particular book of the Bible of the New Testament in consideration. Does it contain the doctrine that we know to be true? And is the teaching orthodox Did the book ever bear evidence, or did the book bear evidence, rather, of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect a work of the Holy Spirit? Having said that, let me say just a couple of things in conclusion. I want to put it all up there for you. Here's the bottom line. No church or early church council determined the New Testament. God did that. God and God alone determined what books belongs in the Bi- belong in the Bible, and particularly the New Testament. And, and it was just a matter of God imparting to His people, His followers, what He had already decided. Because it's God-breathed. It's inspired. And so God is leading His people through a process of determining and understanding what He has already Decreed. So the New Testament is the work of God, recognized by churches over many years of time. I wanted to give you this quote, and I'm done. J.I. Packer. He's he's a great theologian of uh, the modern church. He's of course he's passed away now, but but Tolkien uh, Tolkien Packer said, "The church no more gave us the canon." Then Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. Did Newton conjure the force of gravity or did he just figure it out? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a natural law that he uh, understood and he was able to put it into English, but who established the, the law of gravity? God did. Who established the writings of the New Testament? God did. And He allowed man, I believe, because of what I said earlier, I believe He allowed man to go through the process so man could clearly understand what He had already decreed in heaven. Well, just like Forrest Gump said, that's all i got to say about that. All right. Let me, let me go ahead and call us into order.